Welcome to this episode of the 9420 podcast, where we talk about the music that we love and the industry that we tolerate. I never believed all the whispers about you. You strolled into my life surrounded by gold hue. Oh, and it was good, wasn't it? The last time I recall. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of the 9420 Podcast. That was I Can't Hate You by Becca Trammell. Hi, Carl and Greg. How are you guys doing tonight? Hey. Hi, Carl and Greg. <laughs> hey, hey, hey. 
And Nicole. <laughs> what a good track. I hear a lot of Taylor Swift in that. You know, don't, don't you? Yeah, it's it's just a it's got an interesting track. I, I I just got drawn into the track itself. I don't know the background on who's playing or or where it was recorded or how it was recorded, but there's a lot of elements in it. I mean, the rhythm track itself has a lot of feel. I um, mean, you know, the, the bass player is, is like playing on top and kind of driving and an amazing floor tom. You know, I, I was, was really taken with the, with the rhythm track. In the song, there's like a, literally a 12-measure build. Pretty interesting recording. Be interesting to see what that mix sounds like with uh, radio compression. Yeah, she went to Belmont. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Very cool. Yeah. What is it with relationships? Why? I guess women write more. I don't want to sound sexist, but women seem to write more from that point of view of like the men just really do a number on them. No, I just think women are more in tune to emotions and kind of like getting our feelings hurt. So taking those feelings and then writing them into a really creative song, we're just, we're better at it than men. I can't believe anyone ever dated me. <laughs> in reality, like someone actually, someone actually looked at me and said, yeah, he's, I want to be with him. Like really? What what's your what's going on here? Don't you think? No, I mean there's like Greg. I, look at like you believe someone actually married you? Yeah, I, I was kind of surprised actually. Like how did that? What and then she's still with you? I, uh, forty uh, years yeah, later. Yeah, yeah, God. almost almost forty years of marriage. And we were talking the other day about the idea that I I think I mentioned it on the last podcast uh, when we were talking about breakup songs. Uh, and you had said that uh, you know that track that we played from you was uh, a breakup song. I I completely relate to the track, but I never really went through any breakups. I didn't date anybody for any period of time before I met my uh, my current wife, as she likes to. She introduces me as her current husband. You know what I, I've always wished? I've always wished that I could be the guy who writes my songs. The guy who writes my songs is kind of sensitive. He's kind of intelligent. He's kind of like, you know, insightful. I'm an idiot. You know, so, you know, I'm none of those things. So it's amazing. Like, to me, I don't care who you are out there. No one writes these songs. You're all just basically editors. You know, the, the music comes through you and you just write it down and put it out. You don't make it up. It comes from a higher place, I think. It's, it's pretty amazing. Any of my best lines or my best things, I didn't like sit and work hard to get them. They just kind of came. Wow. Like, what's, oh, that's cool. My talent, if I have any, is I know when to write it down. That's it. You know, I don't sit there and do it. You know what I mean? Yeah, the interpreter. Yeah, I'm the yeah. I'm just the uh, the stenographer. I think the uh, that whole dynamic about um, you know like kind of love gone wrong with guys and you know from a female perspective that's that's a strange dynamic for country radio because they can't really figure out their narrative anyway. I mean, when you stop and think about it, I mean. It's it's no secret that the mass of listeners to country radio, at least, I don't know if this tracks the same for the streaming services, but the mass of listeners to country radio are female. Yet there seems to be a shortage of female artists and female writers represented in the format. So I guess well, that's not because of the listeners. That's because of the gatekeepers and the men, people who run radio and stuff are men. But are, are we to believe that the reason that you don't hear a lot of um, pro-dude songs uh, sung by female artists is because they have we less are. access? Because we don't do anything to be pro-dude about. We're, well, we're, I, we're, think, we're, I think it's also, it could almost be You're for the woman. Well, the, the, here we are, <laughs> men, typical 
mansplaining what women feel. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I mean, for me, it's easier for women to write about when men do them wrong because it can be cathartic for them. Like they're angry. This is a process. They want to put it out there, what's happened to them. And not saying that that's always. There are obviously heartfelt songs out there and you can even look at Carrie Underwood's hits. Some of them are about men doing her wrong. Some of them are about men being very positive. So I think it just depends on where they're at and what relationships they're either reflecting on or relationships they've gone through that probably takes over the process of what story they want to tell. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I think that when you do the converse, I mean, maybe you write a classic. I mean, I always think about Stand By Your Man, which is, you know, I guess kind of dated now. But the fact of the matter is, it's a classic country song, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, it's great, but it's like, it's totally sexist. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know what we're talking about? Because we've talked in, on a few different episodes about the role of the manager, the artist manager in, in, in today's you know music career. I think it's changed a bit, don't you? What do you think, Greg? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I mean, the biggest change that people will not discuss is the idea that typically managers have operated on a percentage of the income that the artist drives in on a monthly basis. No, you know, that's you were, not, that's wrong. I, I tell, I start off is, saying you're wrong. That is not wrong. No one made any money in the very, very beginning. They just signed these guys and then they got him happening. To me, the manager's job was to get you a deal. He was your liaison to the labels. Back in the 70s and the 80s, you just wanted to get a record deal. And the manager got you a deal. Then once you got the deal, then you got the publishing deal. And then you got other things from there. And then they started making some money. I've been with managers that didn't make a dime for like three years. You know? Well, yeah. And- I mean, I, I think that that's probably the case. But what the point I was going to make was that now the model tends to be we've moved from management to where I contract with you and take a percentage of the income that you have out of the industry and instead, the model is I call what I do management services, and right, you pay me up front. Exactly, you know? I think that's baloney. Well, I mean, that's that's how the model's working currently. Do you think that that change came about because of the fact that it could potentially take a manager a long time to recoup all of the effort he's doing for the artist? on spec at that point. So it, it kind of changed in the sense of they have to make a living. So let's change the model. Because to me, if a manager is doing it on spec, after a couple of years, he's still not making any money. I mean, doesn't that go back to the manager not necessarily doing his job then? Not all artists are good. <laughs> just because, you know, you're, you're managed. A lot of artists just aren't good. I hate to say it. Most of them aren't good. Well, and we've talked about that before too, that because of how the industry's changed, especially with streaming and any, you know, Joe Schmo can upload a song to Spotify and get put on a playlist. I mean, there's so much noise now that it's hard to really even figure out who the good ones potentially are unless you have a couple hours a day to kind of weed through everything. I feel we've lost the nuance of everything in this business. I think the problem is nowadays there are artists that are perfectly fine that can sing perfectly okay, and they have good quality, perfectly okay tracks, and they perform perfectly all right. A lot of them look good. That's the problem. A lot of them look pretty and stuff. People want to manage them. I scroll through Instagram every once in a while. I scroll through, and I'm not going to name the artist, but I saw like one girl just stuck out. Like, wow, this girl looks good. And I play what she did, and her, her music was horrible. Because they rely on their looks and maybe are Well, because they, they get really far on that. Yeah. 
you know, well, like, and they, know, they can probably you know, do supplemental stuff too, like uh, influencer type brand associations. Right, so that, that's what happens, and it all gets lost. It's just a different world now. I think the problem is I gauge everything by what, when I was, you know, coming up, and I see how it works now, and I don't think it's ever going to be that again. It's what it is now, and I'm not sure the new way or the new processes are are the best for like bringing out real art or real creativity or I don't know. What do you think, Greg? You're quiet today. Why? I, yeah, no, uh, I'm, I've been thinking a little bit about um, management and the, and the premise behind this episode's topic. I think that uh, it's been my experience that people, maybe artists, maybe creatives, maybe rights holders, maybe their expectations are too high or out of whack when it comes to managers and and management in general. I mean, I think that management has kind of consolidated over the last several years so that, you know, you have a management company, which is providing you a lot of services in addition to quotes, managing your career. If you need to vet booking agents or to discuss a pivot in your career and move from one part of the entertainment business to another, a management company can probably assist you in that way. I think the old school Colonel Tom Parker, you know, kind of managers, I don't think they exist so much anymore because it's hard for a manager, it's hard for a singular person to be that well-versed and that multi talented to have effective networking skills in a lot of different areas, particularly in the digital world, right? I think a manager's job is is, is simple. It's twofold. It's the beginning manager. And then once your career is taken off, the secondary act part of being a manager. The first part is to get what you do in front of people that can make it happen. Like be it A&R people or, or the publishers or the whatever. You have connections was the big word, you know? Let's say you get to that point and you do get the record deal and you do start getting a buzz. Then the manager's job is to navigate the career now. And that's where a lot of these guys fall short with. Like sometimes the guy that can get you there isn't maybe the guy that can keep you there you know because a lot of times managers are in the beginning are friends it's a trust issue yeah yeah and and sometimes it's good sometimes it's bad i i managed an act and you know it was i think it was understood it was unspoken but it was understood that my responsibility as the manager was to get the major record deal i did that i got the major record deal and uh it was I think a reasonably good deal, and I put the uh, the legal team together. We negotiated. <laughs> we negotiated. It happens a lot. It didn't so much fire me as um, the steam kind of came out of the record deal as as fast as it developed and so you know then the artist is like you know their expectations are are not met it's like you know all i ever wanted with this was this damn record deal and now i'm being told you know to put this off or to put that back or you know whatever the case may be but i think that you know it depends so what i was going to ask though is i mean we've kind of had situations with the podcast when it comes to wanting to potentially feature artists and obviously having to send over the non-exclusive um, agreement for them to sign just because that's how we do things around here. Do you think that, I mean, cause there are good managers and there are not good managers, but like, I don't know if you could put it in a percentage wise, but do you think that they're like the majority of managers don't necessarily help their artists? They can potentially hinder them because they just don't under, because they can't understand the entire industry. They they sometimes stop good opportunities. In this business too, everyone's so 
shy of signing anything. You know, there's always, because they're always afraid of getting screwed. So if they don't know what they're talking about, an inexperienced manager can definitely hinder an artist from going further, I think. If they don't know what they're saying no to, you know, oh, no, you don't want to sign that. that. They're just trying to take all your rights and, you know, and they're wrong, you know, so... I think uh, an inexperienced manager can hold you back. I would agree with that. And I, th- I think that that also exists in this kind of middleman area where, you know, artists early in their careers are encouraged to, uh, particularly if they're writers, they're encouraged to find a performing rights organization, ASCAP, BMI, CSAC. And, and the fact of the matter is that when your career is just getting off the ground, if you don't have all the licensing um, propositions available to you so that different platforms can use your music because the PRO that you signed with doesn't have a license in place with a particular platform, that does you no good. And you're sitting over here expecting that uh, you're going to be helped by the performing rights organization when in fact you're being hindered and you may not be discovered on a particular platform because of the business they've yet to do at that platform. So it goes, it goes pretty deep actually. And I think that people can tend to forget that, especially in, in, in the music business, you know, it's talent, luck, and timing. You know, no matter how good your manager is, if you don't have what it takes to be anywhere or what you're doing is not the right time or, or, or if you don't have the right, you know, you're not going to, it's not going to happen. So, you know, that's the, you know, a lot, a lot of great stuff just doesn't get go anywhere because of one of those three reasons. So that brings us to who we're talking about today. Who we're talking about today, Nicole? <laughs> we're talking, or we have have the pleasure of being able to feature Brett Kessel. Yeah, because he works with Aristo. And, and tell about Aristo a bit, because they're, they're kind of what we're talking about, but in a good way. They're like a, a, like a management or a record services. Yeah, I mean, they, Aristo does a lot of good things for artists. So like besides managing, they do public relations services. They do um, outreach in the sense of like education when it comes to artists and um, kind of putting together these webinars and all that fun stuff. So they really do kind of, push the needle forward for the artists that they work with. And if you are able to be within their roster, it's really kind of an honor to kind of see what they're able to do with your career kind of is what I've, I've at because, least seen with them. Because like I said, they know what they're doing. They're yeah, experienced. So exactly. who are we talking about now? So we asked Brett three different questions because he is releasing a new album called What is Life and a new music video. So we wanted to get more information from him. The first question that we asked him was, what can you tell us about your song, Make a Life, Not a Living, and the music video that's associated with it? Okay, let's hear what Brett is saying. Make a Life, Not a Living. This song, without question, is one of the most important tracks I may ever release in my entire career. And so far to this date, it's got to be my favorite because it's like I'm essentially planting a flag in the ground saying, this is who I am. This is what I want to say. This is what I believe in. Now, you think about what we've all been through over the last year. And I think it's important to take stock of the things that you got and maybe stop chasing all of the materialistic things or being externally validated, I guess. That was a journey that I've been on. So I felt that this was the perfect song to lead off this new album with. And now it you know, comes to the music video. And what are we going to do with, with the video? Are we going to hire actors or are we going to do something that is real life. Well, I mean, the best choice was a real life opportunity to bring my wife and my kids. 
to be a part of this music video and film it on a farm similar to the farm that we've got, you know, back home that we've been raising our kids on. So I'm really grateful that it all came full circle. And I think we we're able to elevate this song and the message behind Make a Life, Not a Living with our music video that's out now on YouTube. He sounds pretty determined. You know, he sounds like he, I, I hear like the conviction in his voice. I'll tell you that. No, you know? he is. I mean, and, and he's a Canadian country singer too. So a lot of folks don't realize that, uh, you know, uh, Canada has a, has an incredibly uh, rich history and legacy of what we would consider to be country Western music in Canada. There's a separate industry, separate country music industry in Canada, but there shouldn't be any reason why they don't bring it on down. Right. Well, they do. No, they do. And I think his kind of big breakthrough into the Nashville scene was his single Drink About Me and the music video that he made for that. I want to say it was back in like 2019 that starred um, Caitlin Bristow, who was on a very prominent season of The Bachelorette and her boyfriend now, Jason Tarek. So he's kind of now navigating all of the big players within Nashville to really kind of make that life happen, not necessarily a living, which is a little play on his song. And due to like label agreements and stuff, we really can't play his music. We, it's hard to get the license for his music for our podcast, right? Exactly. But we'll link the video. We'll link the um, to the new album, to the singles that we're talking about. So those will all be in the show notes. So the second question that we asked him was, what can you tell Tell us about your upcoming album, What Is Life? Let's see what Brett says about What Is Life. My new album, What Is Life, is basically a question that I've been asking myself, especially over the last year. But I think I've been on this quest to find the answer to that question my whole life. What really is it? I mean, do you need to be old and wise to know the answer? Do you have to be young and innocent and naive to think you know the answer? I talked to my grandparents about it, and my grandpa said, life is all around you right now. Look at your wife. Look at your kids. That's what life is all about. And my mima, she said, life is actually about the journey and trying to figure it out every step of the way. That's the beauty of it all. So all of the songs on this record have a common theme. Life. Songs about life. Of course, we've got songs about love and celebration and good times, reminiscing about the good times, but it all leads back towards the journey that I have to live the best life that I possibly can, but also the journey that I've been on to just answer that question. Now, it's funny. I was driving out to our family farm and our three-year-old, I've got three kids and our daughter right in the middle, Aria, in the middle of a conversation, it kind of got quiet and she asked this question. She said, Dad, what is life? I had never told anybody that that was my title. The fact that she energetically knew or just asked was a God moment or a universe moment. So I titled it for her. Cool. Um, Sorry, Brett. You know, I think if anyone knew the answer to that, you know, they'd be a billionaire. So, (laughs) so it's a great question. But Um, I don't know. I like, I like the story behind the album. Like the, the fact that he's kind of been, philosophically trying to answer it his whole life and getting these perspectives from people who are older. And I think it's, I don't know. I think it's a smart play. No, I like it. I think to be quite honest, I think between answering his parents and his daughter, Ari, I think Ari is closer to knowing the answer. I think I I believe all kids know all of the answers. They know, they know the answers. The older you get, the further you get from it, I believe. I think life is what it is to you. I think that's the answer to me, you know? I don't have all the answers, but I know one thing. I know that in those universe moments that he mentioned, 
Right. Usually music is involved in my universe moments. So, right. Uh, I'll get back to you on what life is, but for, for right now, for 2021, um, I'm just trying to immerse myself in the music well, and I'm trying to listen a little that's bit. That's actually that's the next segue. question. <laughs> that's the last question we asked. Are you that. serious? Yeah. What, it's what are you what most looking question? it's what are you most looking forward to in twenty twenty one? Let's see what he has there to say. You have it. Oh my gosh, twenty twenty one. I mean, I'm grateful that it's here because twenty twenty, uh I mean it wasn't the greatest. But then again, I mean, if you look for the silver linings, there are a lot of special things around you if you choose to Look on the bright side of things. There were a lot of things that did happen in 2020 that I'm very proud of and grateful for. But I think there's even going to be more things in 2021 that I'm excited about. Things that I can do with my family, things that I can do with my career. Um, hopefully getting an opportunity to do more traveling, have a lot of some of these crazy rules just lifted and abolished and move on with life. That's something I'm really excited about. Face-to-face connection is something I've missed so much. And so I'm going to make a big big point this year to have that face-to-face interaction with as many possible people as I can and uh, gather socially because I miss social gatherings more than anybody. And I don't think anybody misses live concerts like the entertainers on the stage. I can't wait to be in the crowd watching some of my favorite artists like Garth Brooks or Brad Paisley or George Strait hit the stage, but I also can't wait to hit the stage some way, somehow on my own. However that comes to be, I don't know, but 2021, it's shaping up to be a lot better than 2020. No, he's right. I think, um, I think he, I, I think he speaks for everyone though. Like everyone misses the human interaction. We all just want to get together and gather and, you know, not necessarily get back to what the lives were, but just looking forward to what life could potentially be now. Do we know how old, um, bread is about? Curious? Um, I can look it up really quick. Hold on. He sounds pretty positive. I don't think he's been been beating his head against the world for too long. Well, and I think too, he just—he seems like he's got a good outlook on life, like in the sense of he doesn't let anything get too weighed down for him. He is thirty years old. All right, so he's not a kid. Yeah. So he's not old, but he's not—he's not a little kid. So he's got some some years behind him. Yeah, it was funny for someone that old because I heard the. enthusiasm in his, his answers and his voice. Like he believes this. I get that from him. He's not just saying stuff. You know, I think he really believes this make a life, not a living. What is life? I think so. I, I love that about people that no matter what, you know, I guess for centuries, this has been what's been going on. I just love that people, that people still like, you know, get enthused about life. And like, it's like, as if it's like, I was working on the street a while back. This is a funny little story. And uh, this is, matter of fact, this is years ago. I remember I was on Bleecker Street going to a gig at the bitter end. That's how long ago it was. And I remember I was walking down the block with my guitar in my bag. And in front of me, what it looked like was a, this nanny. I could tell it wasn't his mother. It was a nanny. And this little maybe four-year-old boy, right? And, and as we're walking, he might have been about 10 feet ahead of me. There was this leaf that fell off a tree. But it was really big, like a maple leaf. But it was really big. You know, like, like the size of a, of a baseball mitt. It was huge, right? And I see it. And as I see it, he saw it. And he goes down and picks it up and goes, look at this leaf. Wow. Like he, the expression, I guess he just, just cured cancer, you know? It's like, oh, my God, do you see this? It's like, and like to have that exuberance over something as silly as a leaf, you know, and like, that's why kids are the best, man. I think we, we should, we, I think we should only live to five. 
And then I think we'd be a better world. <laughs> just make, maybe 10. Or maybe we all just embrace the spirit of what the one to five age is. It's hard. To, it, yeah, I wish we can, but it's hard to. Well, it's hard to keep that. I, you know? Well, I um, think when you're around it, though, it's not like I know I can embrace my daughter's spirit tenfold, like regardless of what she's doing. If she's looking at something for the first time, I mean, they, they pull you into that. So. All right, everyone. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the 9420 podcast. For all of the links to everything that we've discussed in the show, you can go to our website, which is 9420.com. That is the numbers 94 and the letters T-W-E-N-T-Y. Until next time, we'll talk to y'all later.